Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you so much for being here with me today. And I hope that this week has been helpful as we talk about fear. Because many times we're afraid of our own fear. And it's not a very comfortable feeling to have. Many times we would rather be angry. And what you will find is that many times if people are afraid, if they're scared, or if they are sad, they many times try to be angry because anger is many times a more comfortable feeling. It's an empowering feeling, and it helps to make me feel less angry and maybe less sad because if I can get mad, then maybe nobody can hurt me. And if I can get mad, then I don't have to be afraid. So what I want you to understand is that we have all four of those feeling realms. We have the sad, mad, glad, scared, and they're for a reason. God made us that way. And we are talking about the one that is called fear. And so I want to encourage you to make sure you listen to the shows we did earlier this week about fear. And we, we did last week, we did about a fearless and moral inventory, really being not afraid to look at who we are. And then we talked about you know, this whole issue of fear and what does God have to say about fear and and what what fear means to us. And so I want you to, to know, here's another way to look at fear. These are seven things that I like to talk to people about when it comes to fear. And then we're going to really talk about, is fear bad? And so, you know, fear really can be uncomfortable and quite crippling sometimes. But eliminating it would be like we said yesterday. This would be the equivalent of taking down your home alarm system. This would be, you know, not being able to lock your car. This would be not not having any of the um, protections on any of your devices to make sure that people can't get in there and take information out. So this is fear is really a very important part of the way God has made us. It gives us in many ways, um, a lot better judgment. People without fear are very easily able to be killed because fearless doesn't necessarily mean healthiness. And fearless doesn't mean eliminating fear. See, being fearless means that you know how to leverage fear. All right, fearlessness means I can do things afraid. That's a very different thing than I am without fear. See, that would be very unhealthy to not have fear. And they've done studies. There are, there are a very small percentage of people that have a condition which their brain does not recognize fear. And they get highly injured because they don't recognize the person holding the knife starting to stab them that they should be afraid and they should run or they should fight. They don't have that, that mechanism in their brain. So fear is a very, very important part of God's design. And so fear is healthy. It's hardwired in your brain, and for a good reason. And so neuroscientists, they certainly have identified distinct networks that run from the depths of the limbic system all the way to the prefrontal cortex and back. 
And these networks are electrically or chemically stimulated, and they produce fear. And sometimes even in the absence of fearful situations, you know, when there is no fear, we might have fearful feelings. And so feeling fear is pretty normal, and it's not abnormal or normal, and it's not a sign of weakness. The capacity to be afraid really is a part of normal brain function. So a lack of fear, like we said, is a sign of either serious brain damage or some, some neural defect. So fear, it comes in a lot of different shades, but it is inherently unpleasant, and it ranges from mild to paralyzing. So this could be anticipating the results of a medical checkup to hearing that there's a deadly terrorist attack. So horrifying events can leave what we say is a permanent mark on your brain circuitry. This is, uh, it's always fascinating to me how God has created the brain. And it, if you get a permanent mark on the brain circuitry, you may need some professional help because that affects and colors, when we talk about shades of fear, it affects and colors the way you view your world. And so chronic stress, even if it's low intensity, is, is a form of fear, and it's expressed as free-floating anxiety. Maybe it's constant worry. It could be daily insecurity. And it can quietly but very seriously harm your physical and mental health over time. And this is where we have talked repeatedly about words can change your brain, what you think on. That the more you think negativity, the more you think fearful thoughts, the more you really actively engage in long and chronic states of anxiety and worry and daily insecurity, it can rewire the circuitry of the brain. It actually can change the organic structure of the brain. And so I want you to know that fear is not as automatic as you think. It is part instinct. It's part learned. It's part taught. See, different, different societies have different things they are afraid of. But fear is obviously a part instinct, and it's part learned, and some of it we're just told to be afraid of that. So some fears are instinctive. Pain, for example, that, that anything that has caused you pain in the past, you instinctively will move away from. And this is because of survival techniques. This is how the brain is hardwired to survive. It says, that hurt me really bad, so I learned I'm not going to do that again. Things like a near-drowning accident. You get these negative associations. Or the situation is the thing that evokes the fear. Some fears are taught. We have cultural norms that often dictate who we should be afraid of. And we've had, for example, certain social groups that are feared and persecuted because of a societally created impression that they're somehow dangerous. And so we've had that go on with, with different nationalities, and, and different ethnicities that those have been seen as to be feared. And, and we have fears of different types of religions. And we are taught these things. We don't necessarily always ha have always investigated whether or not it is fearful and something I should fear. So you also have to recognize that one of the elusive and kind of interesting properties of fear is that you don't have to necessarily be in danger to be afraid or to be scared. Because fear is partly imagined. And so it can arise in the absence of something scary. 
So in fact, our brains are so efficient, we begin to fear a range of stimuli that's not even scary. And this is what we call conditioned fear or even anticipatory anxiety. So we get scared because of what we could imagine. So we start scaring ourselves. And some neuroscientists claim that humans are the most fearful creatures on the planet because of their ability to learn and to think and to create fears in our minds. But this low-grade, objectless fear really can turn into chronic anxiety about nothing specific, and it becomes very debilitating. It's very hard on your system. It's hard on your autoimmune system. And the immune system, it's hard on your brain. It creates tons of fatigue and weariness. It starts to really color the way you view yourself and others and the world around you and ultimately really how you view God and whether you can trust him. So the more scared you feel, the scarier things will seem. That's the same thing with happiness. The happier you feel, the more positive the experience you have of any given circumstance, even if it has some negativity in the experience, because you are looking for the happiness quotient more than you are looking for any of the negativity. So fear does the same thing. The more scared you feel, the more you allow yourself to think those thoughts, the scarier the world will be. So this is through a process called potentiation. And potentiation means that your fear response is amplified if you're already in a state of fear. So when you're primed for fear, even harmless events seem scary. And you may have, have experienced this in a, in a very simple way. Let's say you're afraid of public speaking and you have to give a pre presentation at your workplace. So you've been standing there for 20 minutes preparing to be called on stage and you're really nervous. You don't like being in public. You don't like speaking in front of people. And you've memorized and memorized, but you're sure you're going to forget it. You don't necessarily like what you're wearing, maybe. And so you really are ramping up the fear and anxiety. And so what happens? Someone comes up behind you, puts their hand on your arm, and you jump out of your skin practically. Where the person just said, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to tell you that they're getting ready to have you come up. But you're so ramped up, it's so amplified, that even a very non-threatening gesture is frightening. And so things like when you're primed for fear, it's like watching a documentary about venomous spiders and you get a tickle on the back of your neck. And it's caused by a loose thread in your sweater and you are startling, you jump up and you start, you know, trying to pull all your clothes off because you're sure there's a spider in your shirt. Well, if you're afraid of flying, same thing. Even the slightest turbulence will push your blood pressure through the roof. And if you're worried about job security, the more you will sweat it when your boss calls you for even an uneventful meeting. See, we're already trying to anticipate. This is what our brain does. In, this is the fallen state of the brain that it's really trying to help us. But in a lot of its fallen state, it amplifies the fear. So because you're already af afraid, your brain starts searching for things to be afraid of in an attempt to be prepared, when really all it does is causes more fear. And this is where we get that great axiom of fear, F-E-A-R, and that stands for false evidence appearing real. And so we start looking 
through the kaleidoscope of fear, and we twist it as many times as we can so that we go, yes, see, I do need to be afraid of that person or what they're thinking or what they're saying or where they're going or what they're not doing. I do need to be afraid of riding in a car, flying in a plane. I do need to be afraid of going to the doctor. You go into the doctor, and they don't handle you perfectly, appropriately, and all of a sudden you start to lose your confidence in the doctor because of the way the front office handled you. So fear then ends up dictating your actions. And actions motivated by fear, they fall into four different types. It's the freeze, the fight, the flight, or fright. I'm going to say that again. We have freeze, fight, flight, or fright. Now, we've talked about the first three because that's the part of the amygdala. It does the freeze. It does you freeze, you flee, or you fight. So freeze, obviously this means you stop doing what you're doing and you focus on the fearful stimulus to decide what to do next. So let's say you read a memo that your company is going to be laying people off. So the freeze is, oh my gosh, I can't move forward. I think I'm one of them. And then the next that you choose is either fight or flight. So you're either going to fight about it, which means you're going to call up, you know, you know the, the um, human resources department, and you're going to say, how can you send out a letter like this and not tell anybody who it is? Am I one of them? I need to know today. So you get into a more aggressive, proactive state, or you flee. So you call in sick. You say, oh, my gosh, I'm coming down with a migraine headache. I need to go home. And you just get out of the building. Or you just go sit in your car. You go to lunch, and then maybe you say, hey, I had food poisoning. I have to go home. I can't come back. So you end up deciding whether to deal with the threat directly or you work around it. So in the case of this job issue, you either go directly to your boss and say, hey, am I in this list? Or instead of doing that, the flight piece would be I start looking for a new job. But when the fear is overwhelming, you may experience what we call fright. And this means you can't do any of the three. You can't flee, you can't fight, or you can't freeze. You can do nothing. So you obsess about layoffs, you ruminate, you complain, but you take no action at all. See, the fright is nothing is accomplished. And I'm continuously in the fright mode. It leads to helplessness and depression. So here's the, the next thing about, about fear, and some of this is a little bit positive. But the more real the threat, you have to understand the more heroic your actions are. So we react differently to real and imagined threats. Imagined threats cause paralysis many times, like we talked about the fright issue. Being scared about all the bad things that may or may not happen in your future, it makes you worry a lot, but you don't take a whole bunch of action. So you get stuck in a state of fear. You get overwhelmed, you don't know what to do. But real threats, on the other hand, can cause frenzy. Now, when the threat is imminent and identifiable, you jump to action immediately without flinching. And these are the things that cause us to feel actually more confident because we look back and say, wow, I really handled that. I took that on. I did something even though I was afraid. I did it afraid. And so, but this is also one of the reasons why people will change behaviors. Let's say that the doctor says, hey, your arteries are 90% blocked. Well, then 
they will do some life-changing behaviors. So we want you to be proactive. We don't want you to wait and be the reactionary person <clears throat> that has to constantly let the external world decide whether you're going to motivate, whether you're going to activate. So think about what you can do about living your, in your world with less fight, flight, freeze, or fright, and with more self-regulation and activation, motivation, and really incorporating trust and faith into your life. I either trust God or I don't, right? There really isn't any in the middle at all. So I either trust him or I don't. He either says he is who he is or he isn't. So he, he's either going to help me or he's not. So it's really recognizing that I can trust the one who died for me. That he, see, he goes before me, he will be with me, he will never leave me nor forsake me. And that's one of the ways that I ground myself. That there's a whole lot of things in my life I have absolutely no control over. But I can choose to trust God. I can choose to, to believe what he says in his word. And I can choose to let fear and that, that fight, flight, or freeze response that God has created in mammals to protect them. I can use that as a positive. Or I can let it be overactivated. And I can be thinking in ways that cause it to activate even when there's nothing fearful around. So I have the choice as to how I use the brain God has given me. Do I use it for me or do I use it against me? So what does God say about fear? Well, that healthy respect, that being in awe, we have Psalms 33 verse 8. It says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. So what God is saying is, you have a healthy respect for me. You, you operate in a way that you are in awe of me. And it will go well with you. We're to revere God. So I'm to truly respect and have healthy fear of God. He could crush me like a bug anytime he wants to. The beautiful thing is, I have this amazing entity that has power that I couldn't even comprehend. And he loves me. And he laid his life down for me. The more that I trust, the more that I operate in faith, the more confidence and security and courage I have to do the things that God has ordained for me to do. So this comes from a healthy fear of God. So Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. So when I have a healthy fear of the Lord and who he is and what he can do on my behalf, then I can hear him say, so here, here's the deal, Cynthia. Because you have me on your side, you don't need to fear. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you. And you are mine. You belong to me. 
So Isaiah 31, verse 13, it says, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. I love that. So we want healthy fear, and we want to resist fight, flight, freeze, and fright, anxiety, insecurity, timidity, right? Anxiety and worry, that's like disease to the human body. It really is. It doesn't help. It doesn't accomplish anything. So I love that verse in Isaiah, and I want you to memorize it. This is 31.13 again. It says, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Cynthia, do not fear. I will help you. That's what he's saying to you. John, do not fear. Michael, do not fear. Tabitha, do not fear. Lisa, do not fear. I'm with you. I'm going to help you. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So if we don't do what God says, are we sinning? And there's a lot in the Christian world that says, well, if, you, if you're afraid when he says, do not do this, then you're in sin. Well, is this an issue of humanity or is this an issue of morality? That's what I want to ask you today. Is it a sin to simply be human? Truly really think about this. Is it a sin to be human? No. But humans do sinful things. So is, is it a sin to be afraid? Would you punish one of your children if they were afraid, even if you knew there was no reason for it? Would you have such um, a fragile ego that you would take it personally if they were afraid and didn't trust you? If they're little, they're little. They depend on you. They have no life without you. Well, that's how we are as humans. We have no life without God. At any point, he can come and stop the whole entire project. We have no control over it. We are 100% dependent on him, whether we know it or not. We are 100% dependent on God because he could stop the earth from happening at any point. He could, he could erase us to the point that nobody ever knew we existed. So if you had a little kid that was totally dependent on you, and they were afraid, would you punish them? Would you see that as a character problem? Or would you see that more as a relational issue? Oh, I need to work harder on my relationship with them. I want them to calm down inside. I want them to know I've got it, that I can handle it, that I'm holding it, and I'm going to help them. This is what God is saying. So as we end today, I want you to really take seriously this issue of is fear an issue of humanity or is it an issue of morality? I think it's an issue of humanity. And because of that, I don't think it's a sin when you have fear. Because we want to say to ourselves, is it a sin to be human? Okay, humans are sinful, but we do sin. So being fearful is, it a, is a part of being human. Fear in and of itself is most likely not an issue of morality, but it is a feeling. It is an emotional state. And if it were, if it were really an issue of morality, it'd probably be one of the Ten Commandments, right? And God did not list it in the Ten Commandments. When he listed all the do nots, he didn't say in the Ten Commandments, do not be afraid. 
He says it rhetorically. He says it to us as children. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Hey, I'm here. I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'm going to help you. That's the God that we serve. That's how God feels about us. So give your fears to him. Give your worries, your anxieties to him. And do it however it makes sense to you. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.